join us today at Alzheimer's Speaks Radio where our focus is to shift our dementia care from around the world from crisis to comfort and we've been doing that since 2011. So I am thrilled that you can be with us today to see another model that's out there that is really shifting its care culture. So don't forget while you're listening today to go ahead and subscribe so you can learn and share new techniques, tips, and resources to help you live graciously alongside dementia. For those of you don't, that don't know me, I'm Lori LeBay, and I'm your host. I'm also the daughter of a mother who lived with dementia for 30 years. So I get the guilt, the isolation, the frustration, the exhaustion of caring for another, but I also totally love what I've learned about the path of joy, purpose, and passion. So listen in and let us help you find that second path of joy, purpose, and passion. Now, before I introduce our guest today, I always like to give a shout out uh, to a few companies. And one is just, uh, I I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, September is World Alzheimer's Month. And it's a great month to increase awareness about dementia. So again, I would really appreciate your shares with this. Uh, everyone around the world is, is trying to lift this disease so we get more attention, more dollars behind it, and get more people understanding so that we can remove some of the stigmas also attached to it. But I want to also give a shout out to a group in Minnesota that I'm working with. We call ourselves Roseville AD or the Roseville Alzheimer's and Dementia Community Action uh, Team. And we have put together an airport travel survey. And that survey is meant for anybody living with a dementia diagnosis or a travel companion who has used, uh, you know, uh, used an airplane, um, gone through an airport. It'll take you about 30 to 40 minutes. It is long, um, but it's going to collect a ton of data. And we're asking people around the world to, to fill this out because we know one story here and most likely apply in another airport someplace else. So um, please go to alzheimerspeaks.com. You'll see a big airplane right at the top. Click on it. It'll bring you to the survey, and feel free to share that with others. I also want to give a shout-out to Stall Catchers. That is a game that people can participate in all ages. Um, even people with dementia play this uh, that have early onset. Um, Stall Catchers is a game that we can play and we can actually be helping uh, researchers analyze data by our game playing. So go to stallcatchers.com and learn more about that. And the last shout out I'm gonna give is to the Memory Cafe directory. If you're not familiar with Memory Cafes, they are a wonderful concept that bring people with early and mid dementia along with their care partners together so that they can talk with others who understand the disease really build a sense of community. And 
You know, it's one of the things I love most about my job. We get together a couple times a month for a couple of hours, and so many times my cheeks hurt from laughing. We really, we just support each other no matter what anyone is going through. And so go to the memorycafedirectory.com to learn more. Find out what is in your community, or maybe, just maybe your community needs one and you can start one. I also want to um, just uh, give a shout out to companies that might be looking at trying to expand their brand footprint. And they can do that by leveraging our content and our platforms here on Alzheimer Speaks. And so I'd love to talk with anybody who is interested in that. We have a variety of ways to, to be able to increase uh, people's knowledge of your products, services, and tools that you have to offer. And last, I would be amiss if I didn't thank our listeners. You guys are wonderful. You are loyal. And because of your likes, your clicks, and your shares on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and, and many others that I probably don't even know of, um, by working together, you have really built a sense of community and collaboration. And with that comes comfort. And so thank you. It's just a privilege um, to work with all of you to win this battle against dementia. You can always go to alzheimerspeaks.com to get further information about all of our initiatives. So with no further ado, let me get to why we're here. Uh, today, we are really excited to have Gus Noble back with us. He is the president of the Chicago Scots, which was established in 1845 as Illinois St. Andrew Society. And the Chicago Scots are the oldest charity in the state of Illinois and one of the world's largest Scottish culture, cultural organizations. The Chicago Scots have their principal charity as Caledonia Senior Living in Memory Care, which is a unique senior living community that is peacefully located in the forest preserves just a few miles west of downtown Chicago. Who the heck would think that there could be a community like that? Um, welcome, Gus. How are you doing today? I'm very well, Laurie. Great to be with you again. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to have you. Now, before we talk about Caledonia House and, and the Scots, I wanted to, I always like to ask all of my audience uh, or all of my guest members to share with our audience if they've been personally touched by dementia in their own circle of friends or families. Do you mind sharing that with us? Not at all, no. My, both my grandmothers lived with dementia um, back in the UK. Um, I was very close to both of them um, since uh, they, they took care of me when mum and dad both worked. Uh, I'd go and spend time with my grandmothers and developed a really close relationship, a unique relationship with either one. And uh, it was, um, of course, tragic and very hard. But um, I, I, somebody said something to me at some point, somewhere along the line that has, has really kind of resonated as I thought about my grandmothers and others of my friends who live with dementia and that they may not remember us, but we must remember them. So I take with me those memories of the, the, the days I spent uh, just with one grandmother or the other. Perhaps it was shopping, you know, going for groceries or playing the piano or uh, taking a walk in the garden. And, and those are the memories that uh, she continues to live in 
more they continue to live in my heart through. Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Now, September, like I had mentioned, is World Alzheimer's Month. And so that's a time to really raise awareness and, and challenge all the stigmas that can surround dementia and memory loss in today's society. I'm wondering, Gus, if you could share with us what percentages of families do you find are moving into Caledonia Senior Living and Memory Care because of a diagnosis? I would say about 50% are moving in with some kind of dementia. You know, we're, we're a community like most uh, communities that serve seniors that draws from the local area around us. Um, but we also will pull from, we're a Scottish cultural organisation that's been around for 175 years. So we, we pull from within the cultural community that surrounds us also. Um, so we perhaps have some people that will come to us through a natural inclination and feeling comfortable at Caledonia Senior Living. But there's something quite unique about the culture that is imbued uh, through the, the, the Scottish cultural side of the organisation. When I say the culture, I'm talking about of Caledonia Senior Living itself. Scotland is a, a place where... Um, family and friends, kith and kin, are so important. And the organisation was literally built to bring something of Scotland, of home to Chicago for those people who left and were, were um, immigrant Scots. And so a sense of family and a sense of home have always been the kind of twin beacons that have led the way of this organisation. And I think if you really kind of drill down and, and think about it, those two things, a sense of family and a sense of home, can really be the powerful um, forces that stop people from feeling institutionalized or commodified and, and so on. So I think we've become known as a place where people who are living with dementia or some type of memory loss will feel respected and purposeful and, and comfortable and so on. So at various levels of care, there would be a different proportion of people uh, who are living with some kind of diagnosis. Um, our sheltered care is um, the predecessor to the assisted living license. It's been around for a long time and, and probably a smaller percentage of the people living in that part of the community would have a d d dementia diagnosis. And, and as you look at certainly our new McLean House, which opened uh, three years ago, um, part of the the uh, the move-in uh, requirement, if you like, is a, a dementia diagnosis. So all of the people living there are facing dementia. Then, as you get to skilled nursing, there is a, a higher proportion, certainly, than than in uh, uh, sheltered care, but not quite as high as the McLean House. Okay, wonderful. Um, do you see, you know, in terms of people um, coming, you know, to live in your communities, do you see specific stages more common or does it just really depend on who's moving in uh, on that particular moment? It really depends on who's moving in. And, you know, I'm sure you and your listeners know that, that there are good days and bad days. And the good days can be... Um, you know, seized and and our staff recognise when people are are having good days and and the the impact of getting the right people in the right jobs and in the right um, capacities to support residents and and their families 
can increase the number of, of good days. And that really has uh, an impact on, you know, the, 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 the variance of um, how much people are, are living with the, the conditions. So I'm, I'm so proud of the teams that, that, that work at Caledonia Senior Living. They, they really are the rock stars uh, that, that, that will, you know, carry this community in our care and, and the, the purpose we're here for in an incredible way. They, they, they have, you know, used the word passion and promise and purpose. I, I see that when I look at my, my colleagues at Caledonia Senior Living. I couldn't be prouder of them. That's nice to hear. I don't hear that all the time when I go around the country um, speaking in training. And, and so that's nice to see that you have developed that in your community. Now, it's been three years, you know, since we had you on when you were when you first opened um, Caledonia House. And, and now it is being um, rededicated as the McLean House. Um, due to a, a new donor. And I'm wondering if you can tell us how the house has progressed and developed, you know, over over those three years. Thank you for asking. I'm, I'm so proud, not just of the staff, but of, of the home itself, our, our homes. There are, there are two um, small homes within McLean House. Uh, each home has 10 residents. Um, the residents are supported by uh, cross-trained universal workers or care partners as, as as we have called them and I heard you use that phrase earlier too Laurie. Um, the, the, the two homes have really been um, informed by the people who live and work there. We anticipated this, you know, my, my colleagues and I sat for 18 months. Um, I took a one day a month for 18 months and took our entire senior leadership team and several members of our frontline uh, care staff offline and we sat in a large room at Caledonia Senior Living and we said we're going to design these homes together. It's not going to be you know the guys in the ties in the corner office or board members or, or any one particular person or group of people. This is going to be a collaborative effort because I know what I don't know. And I know that the frontline caregivers who know our residents uh, much better than me are in a much better position to help design the home. So we spent all this time investing in developing everything from how laundry works to how um, food service would work or meal preparation or the dishes or you know this, that and the other, evacuation in the event of an emergency and so on. But at the same time, we knew as soon as we turned the key and opened the door, that all of that work only got us to a point and the true identity, the true feeling of the home would only be defined by the people who lived and worked there. And, and so it's been the case. Um, there have been a few surprises uh, along the way, most mostly very pleasant surprises. I think Probably the the obvious one is we we thought the the homes would be appeal appealing to people who are perhaps in the earlier stages of dementia. Um, as it's turned out, it's it's probably more the mid stage. Um, the 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 uh, wonderful thing is we are resident directed, and I, it's it's been a wonderful thing to see that residents who had spent their lives not necessarily getting up. At, a very early time in the day that they they really feel that the 
late afternoon, early evening, and into the later evening are the times when they're more active and and uh, and productive. They've carried on living with that rhythm, and it turns out that the whole house begins to live at a similar, or whole home lives at a similar rhythm. And there's a, a wonderful thing that the the uh, incredibly uh, deep thinking and deep feeling and understanding and compassionate staff that we have created for people who were more active at night time. They found that a couple of them were particularly passionate about art. And so they created a group called the Midnight Painters Group. And these artists were um, painting murals. Then we have a uh, at Highland Games, a Scottish festival, and we needed one of those um, scenes where you can poke your head through a hole and around you is painted a scene of mountains or, or so on. Well, at this Scottish festival, of course, kids love Loch Ness and the Loch Ness monster, Nessie. So the the Midnight Painters created this scene of mountains and lochs in Scotland with the Loch Ness monster. And we took it to our Scottish festival where we welcomed 10 to 15,000 people and all the kids who were there were you know having a great time poking their heads through and joining Nessie in this scene and I thought what a wonderful thing for these folks who were living and working at the McLean house to have done for a new generation so it's it's really been uh, a, a wonderful thing to see the houses self-identify and, and self-direct themselves. Uh, so I think as prescriptive as we try to be, um, the the uh, the real battle has been won by the house, the homes, um, defining their own identity and rhythms. It's a, a great thing to see. Well, and I think that that's nice that you allow them to do that. Um, some companies don't allow that just kind of organic growth, which I think is you know, to me, the clincher, you know, it, it gets everybody's, everybody's buy-in. So kudos to you guys for that. Um, can you share you, a, a little bit more about some of the current programs that you have for residents? You, you mentioned the Midnight Painters, and I just, I love, I love that title of the group to begin with, because it just is out of the box. And, you know, so often people have difficult time sleeping and now now they've got something to do so can you share with us maybe some other programs as well yeah actually there's there's the very small there's and there's the very big and when it comes to programs and and interactions with between residents and staff or, or between residents and and i'll perhaps start with the very big and, and move into the very small and, and talk about a few things that have been happening the, the one thing i'm so uh, excited uh, about is we at Caledonia Senior Living formed um, the first chapter in Illinois of something called Cycling Without Age, which you may have heard of and I'm, I'm sure some of your, your listeners have, have uh, been part of. But I, I'd been sent through social media a video clip of uh, a short film on the BBC called Amazing Human Beings. And it was of a a young man in Scotland who took this uh, bicycle or a, a kind of, it's almost like an inverted rickshaw. Uh, if you can imagine a seat where two seniors, uh, it's a very kind of well-made wooden 
seat, almost like a, a love seat, uh, is is at the front of a bicycle, and then the pilot or the bike rider is is at the back steering and riding. And this young man in Scotland took seniors from a, a community out into the fresh air, and they they really in the, the film were just so joyful and singing and, and you could see them just really enjoying this moment of, of uh, uh, excitement out in the fresh air and I thought gosh I, I think we should we should do this and now as it turns out there's a wonderful um, kind of moment of serendipity where we found out that Scotland and of course we're a Scottish organisation Scotland is the only country in the world where this programme, Cycling Without Age, is a government-sponsored initiative, such as its impact. So we thought the first charity in Illinois, uh, the Chicago Scots, will form the first chapter of Cycling Without Age. It started, Cycling Without Age did, over in um, Denmark and has now spread to over 40 countries. It's elsewhere in the States, but we, we thought, in Illinois, cycling's easy because we're pr- pretty flat. But you know, as you said at the the top of the the program, we're this community that's very close to downtown Chicago, but we're idyllically set in the forest preserve. Very peaceful surroundings. The town that's nearby us, where most of our um, uh, um, residents and their families would would have come from, is this incredibly beautiful town called Riverside where there's winding streets and lovely homes uh, quintessentially midwestern in its feel with some Frank Lloyd Wright homes and so on and we we started this program as it turns out the the uh, ladies who um, work in McLean House are also avid cyclists and they said we'd like to be part of this we had a launch date where um, the local community came in and volunteered to be trained as pilots and now we can take seniors out into the community. They go through the forest preserve past the deer who are grazing in the, the uh, grove uh, in the middle of the forest preserve into these winding streets and everybody who sees these trishaws as they're called just slowly meandering through the streets will stop and wave and people cutting their grass will will say hey how can I get a ride on one of those or school kids will ride their bikes past and smile and say hello and uh, I I took a ride uh, with with a a senior and her grandson and she came from Riverside and she said to him as we were slowly riding now this is where this is the house where I raised your dad and this is the grocery store where I used to go every every week. And here's our church and there's your father's school. And it, it connected her not just to back to the life she had and to the community that she felt so strongly about, but it connected her to a new generation in her family in a very powerful way. So this Cycling Without Age is a, a program that we're so proud to be part of and uh, we're, we're grateful to our, our donors, as, as you said, um, the, the McLean family uh, gave us a, an incredible uh, gift that allowed us to build the McLean house. And Cycling Without Age has been made possible by uh, a man named Bob Crawford and his wife, Winnie, 
uh, but also by the chief operating officer of Walgreens Boots Alliance, the the uh, um, pharmacy store uh, Walgreens is is uh, led by a man from Scotland, and and he he bought as one of the try shots. So there's there's cycling without age is uh, an incredible program as the very big type of uh, initiative. But if if I could just also say, as I was walking through McLean House um, the other month, there was a a resident who had recently moved in who was having trouble settling into a rhythm in the house. And our our staff really got to know him, but more importantly, they got to know his his family, his adult children. And they discovered that he was, for for many, many years, an administrator of a local hospital and was quite a, a, a high-powered and busy man that was always preparing budgets and paperwork and so on. So they bought him a desk and set it up outside his office and they used to come with some paper and give it to him every day and say, now, can you have these reports ready for us in an hour and a half? And all of a sudden he felt like he was again connected to his own identity and immediately began to settle. So I was so impressed that the the simple act of getting to know somebody on a level that is less about the moment we live in and perhaps more about the identity of that person over a period of time can have a profound impact on the moment we're all living in. Um, another program which I'm so um, impressed by, uh, it, it, it gives us, um, a, it allows us to take that sense of getting to know somebody and have it resonate across our entire community and across a longer period of time. And it involves music. Um, Thanks to the Nagorni Music Institute of Chicago and the Chicago Symphony, there's a group called the Civic Orchestra Fellows who have visited now three times to our community. Um, there, there are young musicians who are uh, part of the Chicago Symphony that have come out to uh, Caledonia Senior Living, have sat with our residents and their families across a period of four sessions and they very purposefully get to know the resident, get to know their family and they either compose a piece of music that would go along with the performance or telling of a story that really summed up a moment that was important in that person's life, told by the resident themselves or perhaps by one of their family they compose a piece of music or they would select a piece of music that was particularly uh, powerful at relating the story. And over a period of four sessions, they began to really hone in on which stories were important for, for the, the individual resident. And then they performed these, uh, there were six of them that they ended up performing the first time, which was so impactful to, to, to me personally, I think to us as the community that, that, that cares for um, the, the people who, who were telling the stories. It allowed us to get to know the residents in a way that was much deeper. It allowed us to understand who they were and 
though the music had stopped and the musicians had long since left, the memory of the experience still lingered and it actually helped bond our um, team of staff to residents. And it shows how powerful music can be in in the the uh, in reaching people in in a way that perhaps words or or, or other types of culture can't. It, music to me is is one of the most powerful um, connectors that is out there. So th- those are three um, examples, big and small, of of programs that we're we're very proud of at Caledonia Senior Living. I think that's fantastic. I, you know, when you were talking about the symphony, I thought, oh, I have to connect you with uh, Cindy Lazinski, who is in charge of um, Northern Colorado's Dementia Friendly Group, and they have a program called B Flat, and they are working with their symphony, and they've actually been doing some research behind um, the impact of the music and the outing on both, I believe, the person with dementia and their care partner. And you might find some synergy there. And um, earlier on a, another show, I had mentioned that um, there is the, the World Council for Dementia is doing a survey, and they are really looking to see, you know, what are the programs that are out there, and then who has research behind them. And I kind of laughed, and I said a lot of us, you know, we, we, it, it takes us a while just to find the money to get the program, <laughs> let alone be able to yeah, do the yeah. research project behind it. But that is something that they are kind of working together with other organizations to, to see if they can move that forward so there can be more kind of uh, proof in the pudding um, and be able to get more people involved in some of these these great projects. I love... I'd love to meet them. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to, to talk to them. Thank you. Yeah, I, I will definitely connect you. Um, Cindy's just a little, little powerhouse and a, a very good friend of mine. Um, and then I love the cycling of of, of age. I, I just I, I or without age, I just think that that is so cool. And I've seen so, you know some videos on YouTube where it's just one person pedaling and then a seat in front. But it sounds like yours has a, a seat, almost like a love seat, where two people can sit on the bike. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. It um, is. It is. Yeah. They're and they're they're not hard to ride as as I uh, discovered. They're they're. Uh, they're quite heavy, the bikes. They're very sturdy and well-made, but they're e-bikes, so there's a little motor. And you just, with a very slight turn of the uh, the hand, you can engage this motor and look like you've got this great stride as you're kind of pedaling behind them, and, and you give the false impression that you're doing all the work, whereas the motor is really kicked in. So they're, they're easy to ride. Um, the best way to take a ride on them is to go slowly. You know, it's not to go fast, it's to really enjoy the moment and the, the feeling of being back in nature with the wind in your hair is such an empowering and exhilarating experience. Mm-hmm. The, the, and the, as we were talking about the music, you know, the, the, there were four performances that, that really grabbed me and had me at one moment roaring with laughter and the next moment I had tears running down my face. In fact, I, I did about three or four times. You know, I should dispel a myth, um, Laurie, that the, the Scots are these stoic people. If if you show me a picture of a puppy, I'll begin blubbering and crying. You know, I was at the end of the line when they gave out stoicism. This particular Scotsman 
is uh, the least stoic people person you'll find. But um, the 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 performances of of music. One resident was um, the story he told was was of a time where he was on a military boat in the South Pacific, and on a very still evening, when there were clouds covering every star in the sky uh, in the middle of the night the power on the boat went out so he he was a physics teacher by profession and he said you know i wonder what it like feels like to go and experience total silence and stillness and total darkness so he went and laid on the deck of the ship and slowly as he was looking up at the sky the clouds began to part and Every star, as he said, described it to me, he said it was as if every star in the universe introduced itself to him. And all these stars came out and began to twinkle and so on. So the the young musician who was playing with him asked himself if he could tell that story. And he wrote a piece for three other musicians to to perform. And he performed it literally for Ian, the resident. And at the end of it, Ian stood up and he went over and he said, it was as if you were lying beside me on the ship. And of course, all of us had tears on our faces. The next performance was a lady who had lived in a town very close to the the community in a town called Berwyn. And her father had uh, a general store when she was growing up. And several of our regular customers in the store were nuns from from the local community. And she and her friends used to hide in one of the closets in the store. And as the nuns were going up to the counter to pay for their the things they were buying, they'd, through a crack in the closet door, put a little pea shooter out of the closet and shoot peas at the nuns, who, of course, had no idea where these pieces were coming from. And it was just this wonderfully kind of irreverent and funny story that described the resident perfectly. And then the the last one I'll mention is of a lady who, if if you had 30 seconds with her, you'd recognize the grace in the way that she reached for the salt and pepper across the table or the way she turned a page in in the book in the library there was a certain presence and gracefulness about her and as it turns out she had been a dancer on some of the most prestigious stages around the world she asked if the musicians would play a tango for her because this was the dance that really her passion was for and so they performed this tango, and as this incredibly graceful lady sat there listening, one single tear just ran down her cheek. And in that moment, I thought they've they've reached something in there that is impossible to reach in any other way. And of course, that we all then had a different appreciation and understanding for for her and for her life and for her passions. And um, that's that's what we're all here to do. To, to you know, back to the the thing that my um, 
my friend said that I mentioned at the beginning of the show, they may not remember us, but we must remember them. Very true. Very true. When you were telling that story about the one tear, I'm like, oh, here I go. I'm going to start crying just listening <laughs> to the story. It's just so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, it is, it's about those moments and it's about training staff and family to notice those moments. I think one of the, one of the, problems that we have in this fast-paced world is we don't slow down enough to appreciate and to connect on a non-verbal level because a lot of times people you know lose their their verbal abilities and and we're kind of clawing at them saying you know talk to me say my name and and they're so you know three quarters of our communication is through non-verbals and and we have to teach people to look for those because in my experience anyways those are the powerful moments those are the things that melt into your heart and you don't forget it's not the words it's it's the expression and exactly it's that picture painted in your head forever of of what that experience was like you know and there's that saying that doesn't make any difference um you know, what you do, it's how you make people feel. And it sounds like you guys really embrace, you know, that philosophy of, of touching hearts. Now, um, it's, it's apparent that your one-on-one -on -one engagement with residents is, is extremely important um, to you and, and through your storytelling. I mean, it's just, it's so apparent that it brings people together. But do you find that, it, that these programs also make it easier for families and their loved ones to connect on more personal levels? Because sometimes, you know, we as staff can do that, but families still are uncomfortable. And so yeah. what have you seen with, with family? in terms of how it's impacted them? You know, that, that's a really important question and point. The, the, the community that, that Caledonia Senior Living is, is really built on three innovations, on a, an architectural innovation, uh, an operational innovation, and philosophical innovation. And, and those are really the the bones and structure of the building and architectural innovation, it's built to be as, I'm talking about the McLean House here, but it could be equally true of the, the legacy buildings at the Scottish Home, where people immediately say, this doesn't feel like an institution, this feels like home um, in every every way. An operational um, innovation is where we we really want to see meaningful interaction increased as much as possible through the design of the work that people do. Um, we don't want residents to feel like, and their families to feel like there is a kind of rotating door of different people turning up every time they need something. If, if you can build a truly engaging and familiar uh, uh, relationship, then the, the issues of unfamiliarity and paranoia and distrust and, and all of the, the problems that come with those negative feelings can be minimized and, and eliminated, uh, hopefully. The philosophical innovation is really, as I mentioned before, the guys and the ties don't know really about what's in the best interest of the daily rhythm of the home. It's really the, the people who know the residents best who can make those decisions. So to put 
power, decision-making power, and and to to uh, empower the frontline staff and the teams that are within the home to to start making crucial decisions was important. But we realised when we opened the door that there is a fourth innovation that was crucial to get to the issue that you're you're really talking about. Um, and, and that are what are the things we can do to engage the residents through programming or through simple acts of understanding and compassion and care and so on to to communicate to bond with the people around them, their friends and family, their kith and kin and so on. So we're, we're making an investment in formal programs like Cycling Without Age and, and the Civic Orchestra Fellows Programme and and training for staff, which is so important, not just in the vocational training, but in the how do you recognize those nonverbal signs that you were mentioning before and so on. Because the true mark of success of our homes, I don't believe will actually happen within the homes. The, the true measure of success is if the daughter of a resident can go home and be unburdened from worry and stress and concern about her mother and go into her personal life and enjoy an unstressed dinner with her spouse or her family or her her own children and can go into her professional life and be present and productive. And if we can have the 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 uh, the moments of understanding resonate beyond the walls and beyond the boundaries of our campus, then I think we're truly doing something that will be um, as powerful as I can uh, hope and imagine. The 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 kind of incredible um, moment where one of those daughters came onto our. Uh, campus and I saw her as she walked in and I said you look incredible you, you look um, refreshed and, and so on and I recognised that she didn't have that look of the, the people get in their eye when they've had lack of sleep because they've been out worrying all night about family you know the true true measure of success of our organisation is measured in whether that daughter can put her head on the pillow in the evening and sleep soundly. It, yes, of course it is measured in pounds, shillings and pence and dollars and cents and all the things that we we need to, to be able to to do to survive. But the the real thing that will that will have an impact far beyond anything else is what happens to the the uh, the family. So I'm I'm so uh, grateful that you should ask about uh, about the family relationship as well as uh, the other programmatic things we're doing. Well, I, I love that you really have a good grasp of that because I think so often um, companies are, are so nano-focused on what happens within their building and what they see as in their control. And I, I truly believe that, um, you know, what you're doing in terms of, of understanding, being, being able to read the comfort level of families is, is huge. I have a thing called, uh, when I do training, called family by choice, that 
you know, staff are our family by choice. They're not replacing family. And sometimes families feel like they've been replaced or they're even shunned sometimes by staff for not coming around as much. And, and that can be frustrating and add even more guilt to a family member. And then I have a, um, a philosophy, which I call the hybrid um, caregiver, car e-giver. And the car stands for conscious awakening of relationships. And the e-givers are all about the emotional giving. And it sounds like you really understand the importance of that emotional giving, uh, that it's not so much about the task, it's about how we do the task, how we engage, because it's, it's about, you know, is the person, you know, safe, happy, and pain-free? That trumps, you know, getting, getting it done, because, you know, mm-hmm. it's a quality of life. And, and how would we want to be treated? Exactly. My, my grandmother's favorite word was serendipity. And she said to me when I moved to Chicago, she said, the one thing I want you to take us is serendipity is all around you. All you have to do is recognize it and welcome it into your life. And I view the, 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 the things we do uh, as being an embodiment of that. There are chances to connect. There are opportunities to help. There, there are opportunities at every moment to make a moment better for someone. And I think in the, the Jewish faith and in the Muslim faith, there is a saying that if you save one life, you save the world. Well, if we can all do one thing in that moment where we have an opportunity, um, it's, it's, it can be an incredibly powerful thing. So no matter who you are, I think you've got an opportunity to to make a life better, a moment better. There, there's our, one of the, the folks who works on our team, he, he, he works in the housekeeping department. His name's Keenan. And he is such a, a warm, generous um, colleague but more than that, he, he connects to people, no matter who you are, in a way that is, is really powerful and unique. And he'll invest in the moment where he's with you. He's totally talking to you. And I've seen him talk to other staff, but more importantly, I'll see him as he's in you know, a resident's uh, apartment and suite, cleaning their, their, emptying their trash or something. I'll see him just talking to them about grandparents uh, or grandkids' baseball games or, or their the photographs that they have. And as I walk past the room and see this happening, it's it, it puts a kind of spring in the step to see those, those moments. Uh, you know, Robert Burns, <laughs> if you give a Scotsman an opportunity or, or, or a, a the floor, a microphone, or, or an opportunity to speak. Sooner or later, he's going to mention Robert Burns, and here's here's the moment for me. He he had a line in one of his poems. The poem is called "Catch the Moments as They Fly." It's an incredible, beautiful way of saying enjoy those particular moments of serendipity where you have a, an opportunity to make a moment better. You know, an an example of that, I suppose. So, so it happened when I first 
moved uh, or first started at the community, there was a lady called Katie who had lived at the, the Scottish home in our legacy building for several years. And we knew that we were probably entering the last days of, of Katie's life. And it was in the winter and Katie was very frail and it was on one of those particularly cold, biting Chicago evenings in the Midwest where the wind was howling and um, she, her, her bedroom overlooked the forest and there were snow was falling and it was being kind of blown gently across the uh, the window and the, the light uh, from her window was causing the, the snow to look like it was kind of drifting by, almost like the, the, the window of a train. And she said to the staff, I want to feel the snow on my face one more time. And there was just no way we could do that. Katie was too frail. It was too cold outside. But the staff quickly ran out and gathered up some snow in a bowl. And they gently let it fall onto Katie's face as she lay in her room. And I thought, what a wonderful way of giving Katie the opportunity to to make a decision, to to be the the director of that own particular part of her life. And and that that really taught me what our philosophy was all about from, from that moment on. I think it was it's such a, an an instructive um, thing to 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 see and 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 hear about. Um, I'm so grateful to Katie for teaching me that. Well, it's a beautiful story, and one of the things as you were telling it, it was like you know the staff was attentive to her and met her her needs. But I was also thinking how fulfilled they felt doing that and being able to bring somebody joy and contentment. And I think sometimes that is so overlooked, the, the importance that this is a two-way street. We are not just giving care to people, but we are relationship-based. And, you know, when you do something kind for someone else, it, it fills you. And, and it's, you know, and you don't do those things to get filled. It just, it just happens. And like you mm -hmm. said, they can be life-changing moments, just life-changing moments. I have a signature story uh, called Betty the Bald Chicken that talks specifically about those moments. And it was um, one that came in a dream. And it's, it's kind of funny and it's kind of silly because people get these rubber chickens and, and these uh, Mardi Gras bees with bald chickens on them. But they remember the story, and it's, it's all about living in the moment and that we always have a choice, and we're not always going to make the, the best choice. You know, there's going to be moments where we walk away from somebody. There's going to be moments where we're shunned by others. There's going to be, you know, that's called life. Um, but we always mm -hmm. have another opportunity, and for things that we feel guilty for not doing the right way, we have an opportunity to learn from that and make a different decision, you know, in the next moment. And, you know, it's, we have to stop kind of beating ourselves up and, and just move forward and do better, because we all can do better. And even when we do something great, 
it can still always be improved. Everything is fluid. And, you know, that seems to be what I hear with your philosophy, that you're always looking for new ways to improve. One of the things that I loved is when you, you talked about um, having this, the staff, you know, being in a power decision-making um, mode, allowing that, you know, your direct line staff. Um, that is so critical, and a lot of a lot of organizations don't allow that, and yet they're the ones that know the residents the best. They know the families the best because they're around them. And I think that, of course, there's got to be some balance with everything. But I, I think that that is a critical, critical mode. And you know, typically when you do that, you reduce your turnover in terms of staff as well. Um, and that is something I know all around the country and actually all around the world, people are struggling with staffing. And you had mentioned that that, again, is important to you to not kind of have this rotating door, but to have some normalization and, and some routine and so that people aren't always faced with a new face, um, that there is that familiarity um, you know, between resident and staff. And, and that is, I think, a very, very critical piece, too. Um, in wrapping up, Gus, what is, like, one big takeaway that you would like our listeners to, to walk away with today? Um, you know, I think I'll tell a story about another member of our team that, that really reflects what you've just said about familiarity and, and, and having... Uh, a consistent relationship with with uh, staff and, and residents. As we were designing the Caledonian House that became McLean House recently, when we dedicated the the homes, I mentioned that we took eighteen months with our senior team and frontline caregivers to to design the home. I, I was playing a, a a role with one of the exercises. Um, it was about communication. We wanted to really have an appreciation of the way in which we communicate. So the exercise involved two people sitting back to back and one of the people had to describe a picture in front of them which was of a circle with a triangle and then another shape, a funny angle and a star. And, you know, it was a geometric type picture. They had to describe it, and then the other person sitting back to back with them had to draw what they heard. And of course, there were all different variations depending on how communication was received and transmitted and so on. I happened to be sitting back to back with a lady called Crystal, who is uh, one of our caregivers. And as we were doing this, word came down and into the room um, from, from our director of nursing that a resident who was a friend of mine through the Scottish community. Um, she she had been involved in some of the celebrations of Robert Burns uh, and so on, became a resident of, of the home and word came down that sadly she'd passed away. Uh, her name was Margaret. And I said to Crystal um, in the middle of this exercise, Crystal, I'm sorry to tell you that Margaret has passed away. She was... Um, I know very dear to you and you were also dear to her and Crystal looked at me and then kind of looked off into to middle distance and she said yes Margaret was lovely 
and so was her mother. And I took care of her mother when she lived here 30 years ago. And I thought that that's not something you're going to hear in every community. That's an incredible thing that Crystal just shared with me. And I think to, to kind of sum everything up, it gave me a sense of familiarity, of home, of family, of, of all the things that we, we started and have, have touched on throughout, throughout the time together today. So those are the things that make us who we are. Um, we define ourselves. You know, Bob Dylan recently said, America is about designing yourself. Well, I believe that to be true. We do it through what we make as our home and the people around us who we, we have as friends and family and the, the cultural things, our passions, our purposes and so on. And uh, Crystal really got to understand what Margaret's and her mother's and our community's purpose and passions and personalities were. And it taught me a, a very valuable lesson that day. So that's that's who we are. And if we could all be like Keenan and Crystal and Margaret and Katie, um, I think the world would be better. What a beautiful way to wrap up. And um, in terms of just, you really, I mean, I can hear it in your voice. You really value your residents and your staff at all levels. And and that is, that's a really beautiful thing. And that's not something that you can mask. You know, that is, uh, that is something that really makes a big difference in any organization when people are, you know, feel like they belong no matter where they're positioned in it. You know, if they're a client, a resident, if they're a staff member, if they're administrative, housekeeping or maintenance, um, you know, it sounds like everybody has an equal, equal role and value um, in terms of in terms of Caledonia House, and that, that's quite beautiful. Now, people can contact Caledonia Senior Living and Memory Care by just going to caledoniaseniorliving.org, um, or they can call 708-447-5098. Again, that is caledoniaseniorliving.org, and that's C-A-L-E-D is in dog, O-N-I-A, and then senior, S-E-N-I-O-R, and then living, L-I-V-I-N-G.org. And again, the phone number is 708-447-5092. Is there... Um, Anything else that you would like to uh, share, you know, with us on maybe maybe even uh, summing up with how do you think families are able to incorporate some of these best practices that you've talked about in your memory care um, in their own daily lives? Wow, that's a, a great question. The, you know, let's think about the midnight painters and let's think about cycling without age and the the music program are, are there ways that you can have conversations or perhaps even as as you said Laurie the, the conversations without words 
that happen when you take our loved ones, our families, out into the places where their their passions were stoked, you know, their 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 identities were formed. Um, to ask them what music, you know, why they they chose particular uh, to do particular things or what was important to them. Think about the the moments that they've had that will make the moment we're in a bit better. And there's so many ways to do it. Every moment, as my grandmother said, is a moment to make better. And welcome serendipity into our lives. Wonderful. Thank you. I'm just going to mention a... Um a resource that might be helpful to some of our listeners and even to Caledonia Place. It's called mariasplace.com and it offers a ton of free activities that you can do from crafts to uh, physical exercise to I think there's meditation, all kinds of things and it'll tell you what you need to buy for supplies. It'll give you a video of what it looks like in the process and it adapts to different levels of need as well and it's just mariasplace.com it's a wonderful wonderful resource for people to engage and i would like to just um, also add on that you know some of the most special moments are when we're doing absolutely nothing i mean i think of i think of visiting with my mom in the safest place i could ever be was just sitting next to her, maybe holding her hand, not saying anything. And again, sometimes we undervalue not doing something. And yet when the person with dementia is at peace, we are at peace as well. And, and we need to share that. We can share peacefulness and, and calm and joy. And we just have to look for it and then duplicate it. It's very simple. Um, but it's a big it's a big switch sometimes for people to to be able to feel that they can be still. And again, I, I think it's very much very much worth the time. Well, thank you, Gus, so much again for for sharing with us today. You guys are doing fabulous work, and I hope to connect with you when I'm out in um, out in Illinois uh, yet this fall. It would be it would be fun to actually come out and, and visit and see see the site and, and see everything in action there. So again, thank you so much for your time and um, helping us raise awareness during World Alzheimer's Month. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure and I appreciate you doing what you do. Thank you. Thank you. And in wrapping up, I just again want to thank everybody for joining us today on Alzheimer's Speaks, where our focus again is to shift our dementia care culture around the world from crisis to comfort. So subscribe today and continue to learn about new techniques and tips and resources to help you live graciously with dementia. Get ideas from other people through the stories that we share here. That's what it's all about is just getting us excited and empowered to make a difference. And each one of us has the ability to do that. Don't forget to check out our main website, alzheimerspeaks.com, where you can connect with a lot of our initiatives and get information on keynotes and training and various social media platforms as well. And last, don't forget about being a guest on our show. I'd love to hear from you. So there's a big contact button there 
reach out to me and talk to me. Until next time, thank you so much. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.